Hello and welcome to another one of our podcasts with the Boss Ravioli Queens. I'm Jasmine the Queen. Boss Lady Amy. Nicole Ravioli. And this one, we're going to get, I guess, a little sad and kind of like discuss what's going to happen with this. This episode's called Death of a Resident. So we'll kind of discuss maybe some of our sad stories and um, kind of what we do when that actually happens. So, who wants to start with a rundown? Well, (laughs) I guess we could explain the difference between what happens when a resident passes who is on hospice and then a resident who passes when they are not on hospice. Sure, give that to us first. So, hospice, we have touched base on this in Mm. previous episodes. Go listen. Um, But basically, hospice is like end-of-life care, comfort care, Uh, If you hear those terms, it's all the same thing. It just means that you have a group of people working together to make sure that this person is being taken care of and that they're comfortable in the last stage of their life. Um, Whatever illness they have, it's terminal. They're not going to get any better. So they don't take any medications that make anything better. It's all about pain management and comfort. And then... Um, I feel like you should probably list the most common meds that are given. Yeah. We went over this in previous episodes, but if you're new here, hi, hello. <laughs> so the most common medications that are given on hospice are morphine, uh, lorazepam, haloperidol, and zofran. Yep. So morphine, extreme pain management, um... Obviously, it's a opioid, right? Morphine's an opioid. I think so. That's highly <clears throat> abused, um, but when it's being given on the prescription level, it's for extreme management. Pan- That's a new word. That's a combo right there. That is a combo. <laughs> hey, work smarter, not harder. Management. <laughs> um, but that's for extreme pain management. <clears throat> And then lorazepam is for, like, behaviors, anxiety, um, aggression sometimes. Haloperidol is basically for the same thing. It kind of, like, knocks you out right away. Mm -hmm. It's a behavior med, um, but it's often given in combination with lorazepam just to kind of really take you down fast. Well, the morphine... I feel like we need to explain that the morphine, like, slows your breathing, so that can kind of make people freak out, obviously, especially when you're knocking at death's door. So, in combination with the lorazepam and haloperidol, um, it calms you down and or knocks you out, depending. Yep. And then the Zofran is good for nausea, because a lot of the times when you're at the last stage of your life, you are not eating. These are strong medications. If you are given them on an empty stomach, um you will probably throw up. So they give you nausea medication as like a preventative measure. Mm -hmm. So that in a nutshell is hospice. Um, In order to be diagnosed uh, terminally ill, you have to have something, you have to have some kind of diagnosis (coughs) that is uh, you will be passing away within six months. I think it's three. Three? Uh, something like that. Um, and, yep. 
that's pretty much hospice. And then obviously when you pass away and you are not on hospice, it's oftentimes going to be unexpected. There are circumstances in which, you know, a person really should be on hospice, but they pass away before they can get to that point. But, um, so when the person actually passes away, hospice, you know, the, the, they get assigned a nurse and actually a few nurses that come in and... And a CNA or two. Yep. And just do all like the, do their checks, you know, check on wounds, um, check on their medications. Showers. Yep. Showers. They are trained specifically to take care of somebody who is actively dying and it is a little bit different. There are more things that you have to watch out for when you're doing their cares. There are certain, you know, weak spots and things that could lead to injuries or even a quicker death, unfortunately. And so they will come in, even if this person is in a facility, even if they're in assisted living or whatever, like hospice will still come in and do those cares. And obviously you still have to care for this person like they're, you know, no different. But it's, they're just an extra support that are there. And it's very nice to have that because oftentimes as caregivers, we we're trained to an extent on end of life care, but it really depends on the facility you work at as to how far they train you on that. Mm-hmm. Usually if it's like mm-hmm. some sort of like assisted living or like, nursing um, home environment. yeah, more of a nursing home environment, they don't quite train you as much on it because hospice is always there yeah usually hospice is always there or like they they train you to be like okay like if this person goes or whatever you just need to report it to this so-and-so and we'll get things moving from there but if you're in more of like a hospital setting or um something that's like you're working more directly with like nurses and care teams and stuff or whatever um a lot of times they'll train you like how to prepare the body and stuff or whatever for when the coroner gets there and everything. So thankful so, I've never had to do that. I've had to do it once for, like, surgery. Yeah, you told me. Yeah. Well, you, you can tell the listeners if you want. So I did this one time. It was kind of, like, sad, Wait, but... pause. Before we get into that, let's just explain the difference quickly, because I was getting into that before, like, with how, you know, they do everything for that person when they're living... I was about to say. Oh, okay. Um, when someone's on hospice, they take care of all that after the person dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what Jasmine is about to say is something that um, that like if somebody's not on hospice or um, they don't have, they weren't expected to die or whatever, then the facility has to take care of it. It's like a lot of documentation and all of that. Um, but in a hospital setting, it's a little bit different because I mean, you know. In a hospital setting, you have lives in your hands all the time. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, there was a lady that we had. Um, her family brought her in, and they, like, got her... They were going to have a surgery. I believe it was, like, a knee surgery or something. Something very basic that they do all the time. But she was a very old lady. She was, like, I think in her 90s. And she was in the back room with us, like, waiting to um, be prepped for surgery. The doctor kind of looked her over, and he was like, he was like, I don't think I'm going to do this surgery, because I feel if we put her under and stuff, she's just going to die. 
So he actually went out to basically cancel the surgery with the family, talked to the family about like why he wasn't going to do the surgery. And as he was literally talking to the family, me and the nurse went to go check on this lady to see how she was doing, and she was dead. She died just waiting to see if they were going to do the surgery or not. Mm. In the back room with us. So So then the doctor comes back, and... um. We basically look at him and we're like, she died. Oh my god. <laughs> so he had to go back out and basically console and like talk to the family that she died and we didn't even do anything to her yet. Okay, but like, what was the doctor's reaction when you said that she died? <laughs> His reaction was like, was like, obviously like we weren't like hurt because you know, like their whole family's here or whatever waiting to see, but at the same time, it was like, it was like, oh my god, like, I can't believe this just happened. <laughs> Wait. It's, it's funny, but it's not funny. It's funny now to me. Right. At the moment, it was like, it oh was my god, this horrifying. did not just happen. So, anyways, then I had to just help the nurse and stuff prepare the body, um, clean everything up, make sure everything was clean, um... And then we basically got, like, a body bag, kind of, like, zipped her up in it, and then we waited for the coroner to come. So I have a quick interjection. Um, what what Jasmine means when she says prepare the body, we have to um, wash the corpse. And if you don't already know, <coughs> um, usually people defecate and urinate on themselves. Yeah, Because depending. your body releases everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that they're cleaned up, and then when you're done with the cleanup process, you just cover them with a sheet, and that's mm-hmm. that's what it means to prepare a body. Yeah, we just have the we have the at the hospital we have like the bags already to zip them up in, so we just do. That <gasps> I would die! <laughs> oh my god, I would hop in that bag and just croak, dude. I could not, <laughs> could not ever. <laughs> Wait, so how long? Like, when was the last time you checked on her, and then she passed away? Literally, probably, like, 20 to 30 minutes. So oh, my God. That, she was just laying in bed. She was perfectly fine. Was she still, like, talking? Yeah, she was talking for a little bit and then stuff, and then she was just tired, came back in to check on her, and she's gone. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And I and we And the way the bays were set up for surgery and stuff is, like, you, you were constantly checking on these people because... Um, the bays were set up and you were constantly walking back and forth. Right. So you could see them and it was just a curtain. So, like, every time you'd walk by, you would be able to glance in and see how they're doing, too. So, oh my God. It's, so they were checked on very often from in and out of surgery. Wow. Nuts. So, this is a random tidbit, but I guess also important. Another way to say, like, preparing the body is also called postmortem care. Yep. Exact same thing. If you ever hear those phrases, they mean the same thing. I don't like to use all the technical terms. It's exhausting. It is. And I mean, once you actually work in the job, nobody calls it post-mortem care, I don't think. It's more of a technical term for, like, training and stuff. Yep. But, yeah, just hope that you never have to do post-mortem care because it sucks. So the last care facility I worked at prior to where we work now... Well, actually, it was after I stepped down from that management position. Mm -hmm. So... When I was with Sir Gives Me the Ick a Lot, <laughs> obviously I found a new job and I was working um, all oh, of the units. Goodness. 
He, it was my favorite. It was my favorite resident on memory care at the time. Oh. And I wasn't even working there, but I, I knew that he wasn't doing well. So I went down to go say hi to everybody on like my 15 or whatever, my 15 minute break. And they were like, yeah, you better go say your goodbyes because like he's not doing well. And I, I was like, oh, okay. So I walk in the room and dude is not breathing. I watched. I watched hard for that blanket to rise and fall, and it did not. So I walked over to him. I checked his pulse on his neck. There was nothing. He was kind of starting to get cold already, and I was like, cool. Oh. Great. So I started to tear up a little bit, and I was like, hey. We had walkie-talkies, so I was on the walkie-talkie, and I was like, hey, you need to get down here. Like, he's gone. And she was like, what? <laughs> like, over the walkie-talkie. That's all I hear is, what? <laughs> so she comes down and she was like, nah. And I was like, see for yourself. <laughs> so um, she opened the window, I the think. Wall. So got to open the window. There's a stereotype yeah. with that. It's, or not stereotype. Um, um, just a... It's like a... Oh my god, I can't think of the word either. I know. Um, it's like a myth, kind of, not really. Yeah, no, kind of, something like that. A, a thing in caregiving. I know what you're trying to think Like the of. thing where you don't walk under ladders or you don't cross a black cat's path. Superstition. Yeah, yes. superstition. That's what it is. took me a minute. We had a collective brain fart. it in, y'all. So there's a superstition that if you don't open the window, there's their like spirit gets trapped there. Yep. So we opened the window, and the one girl was like, but I don't want to. I want him to be here forever. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> open that fucking window. Let him get back to his family. <laughs> right. So um, my time down there was very short. I was not working that unit, so I did not have to help prepare the body. Lucky me. And I went back upstairs and continued to do the rest of my job, hating my life because my favorite resident just died. You called me, and you were like... So and so died. I was like, "What?" I was like, "Didn't you just talk to him the other day?" You were like, "Yeah." Literally the prior day, he was up and bopping around in his wheelchair, just fine. But that was like we had talked about in that prior episode where they spunk. They get their spunk back yeah. for like a day yeah. or two, and then it's done. I should have known too. I should have known that 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 his. Oh, I can't oh. talk. I should have known that when he was up and at it the day prior, it was going to be It was like his, yeah. I knew. That burst. Or I should have known, yeah. So, we talked about this in prior episodes as well. Like I said before, go listen if you haven't, if you're new here. But basically, the end of life burst is like a thing that people get right before they die. It's basically like the body's way of, it's starting to shut down and it's using all the energy that it has left because like our bodies are programmed to not let anything go to waste unless it has to. It's basically like their last hurrah to like say goodbye to people, say goodbye to their family and stuff or whatever. Unfortunately, family that doesn't know that happens, they think, oh, she's doing so much better. better. And we're like, no, 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 honey, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I actually had to explain that to a family member, and it's really sad. It's hard to explain it to them. Most of the time, they fight you on it. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a resident who was doing really, really rough, and the daughter 
like she had a little burst or whatever and the daughter like thought she was getting better and then she ended up passing away like the next day and so like she understood yeah. then and then <laughs> oh. I, was, I know but it's so sad because they're just like i thought she was getting better she was doing so good yesterday you know it's like so another thing we forgot is that HIPAA is still a thing even after the resident dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like I was trying really, really hard not to say that specific resident's name when I was doing that story just now. And then I felt the need to explain that HIPAA is still a thing even after you're dead. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. HIPAA like never goes away. Any medical records that you have for a person, even if they are no longer alive, even if they don't live at your facility anymore, it doesn't matter. Like that HIPAA... That's always intact. Always. You cannot say that person's name ever. Or, you know, any other health information. So, yeah. um, A little bit on HIPAA for you with death. Yeah, and that's a really good point, actually. Because a lot of people don't really seem to know that. Or care. Yeah, that's true. Or care. There's a lot of people that do know that that don't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's true. So, um, I'm trying to think... Maybe we should go around and talk a little bit about, like, our thought process on, like, when our when our residents pass away. Well, I mean, for me, it's, like, a normal grieving process because, really, if I've worked somewhere long enough, those residents are my family. Yeah. Ain't no ifs, ands, or buts. And they tell you when you get into this field to not let yourself get personal with them, to not get attached. Fuck and it's literally that. impossible. It's so mm-hmm. impossible. You get attached, especially to a point. Um, I suppose mine, I sense, like, you know more, since I know more background for, like, the death situation, and, like, I guess you deal with it, and you kind of, like, understand more about it. Like, yeah, I do get attached to a lot of these people, but at the same time, I feel like the grieving process for me is, like, a little bit faster. It's like, I miss them, and I'm, like, I'm, like, I feel bad for the family and everything, Mm -hmm. but, like, you know, life goes on. (laughs) Honestly, with my um, most recent resident death, I feel like I handled it better than I do most. Like, obviously, I had a couple nights where I went home after work and I just bawled. Mm -hmm. But seeing that he didn't pass away in the house, I think, helped with that. Yeah. So, Mm, um, yeah, I definitely... I already know who you're talking about. I know, because you were there with me. I know. You started crying before I did when we visited. I know. So, um... I recently had a resident pass away. I think it was probably about three weeks ago now. I think so, yeah. And, man, it was hard. It was so hard because he he was my buddy, dude. He was literally literally like the house favorite. He was. And he was such a sweetie. Like, the nicest, most childlike person you could ever meet in your entire life, and that was him. Are you going to cry? Stop. Don't okay. cry. Don't I don't cry. want to. <laughs> okay, going, Amy, going. go ahead, because you were in the middle and I kind of, like, cut you off a little bit. No, you're fine. I, no, I was just going to say, I actually just had a resident death also, but luckily he was, he was, like, a past resident of mine, so it was not as bad. But, you know, for me, like, I've gotten a lot better at separating, like, my job and my personal life as I've gotten older and just, like, experiences that have helped me, like, figure that out, I guess. So, yeah, of course, like, I still grieve. I'm still sad about it, but, like, 
I am able to draw a more clear line now. And so, like, yeah, I'll have my cry or whatever. But then, like, after that, it's over. Like, for me, I, I just have to remind myself, like, at the end of the day, this is still a job. And, you know, it's it's not like they're, like, my grandma or something. Like, obviously, they're still my family. But I guess just helping me, like, it just drawing that clear line helps me just kind of remember, like, they're still my resident, they're still someone I took care of, I love them, but it was time for them to go. Yeah. But now, like, 18-year-old me, when I first started caregiving, my first resident death ever, I was absolutely convinced that it was my fault. <laughs> so, like, I've come That's a really long way. That's what I used to way. think, too, when I first started, was I was like, oh my god, it's my fault, what could I have done differently? Like, you know. Right. But. So that story that I told you guys... A few episodes back now, um, about that one resident that passed due to my manager being a piece of shit. Um, <clears throat> for years, I struggled with, like, thinking that that was my fault. Yeah. For years. And there was nothing I could have done to prevent it. And in fact, I did everything I could to keep her alive until the EMTs got there. So, that was not my fault. Yeah, so I actually, well, I actually have a story about that. I've told... I've told you this story already. You know what I'm going to talk about. But So I have a resident who, for the longest time, I thought I killed her. Like, when she passed away, I literally went home that day and just bawled my eyes out. And I worked nights, and, like, I really didn't know her that well. So I was, like, I don't know. Now I look back on it, and it feels like I felt that way for no reason, but... At the time, I was 18, and... We grow and we learn, girl. Mm -hmm. We grow and we learn. I was a brand new caregiver, and I was also really young. And it was my first time ever working in a large facility, and it was also my first resident death. Mm -hmm. So, um, when she passed away... So, well, this wasn't the night she passed away, but when she went to the hospital, so basically what happened was me and my coworker, like... She was kind of being weird the last couple days, and she was, like, wringing her little, like, pendant a lot, and that wasn't something that she normally did. She normally, like, slept through the night. So she rang her thing, and um, she was on the floor, and she, she had fallen out of bed, but she was in a sitting position. Mm -hmm. And so I, like, tried lifting her up myself, but she was too heavy, but... So I went out there and I like got my coworker and I was like, yeah, she's on the floor. Um, I think she fell out of bed, you know, whatever. And my coworker was like, eh, she's not going anywhere. She's fine. Just she was like, we'll go out and smoke. We'll get her up. We'll like we'll come back. Whatever. And she asked me, like, did she hit her head? And I was like, well, no, I don't think so, but I don't know for sure. So then um, she was like, oh, well, you know, whatever. So we went outside and um, we came back in and then we got her, like, back up and situated or whatever. And then we got her in bed and I like felt really uneasy about it because I was like you know something's not right like when you see a resident on the floor you need to get them up immediately and I right. tried I tried getting her up myself but I couldn't and my coworker didn't want to so I was like whatever I'm sure it's fine 
So then um, later that night she fell again and the second time she actually like rolled out of bed and she ended up on the floor. And um, so we called her daughter and her daughter wanted her to be seen. So she went into the hospital and then um, she ended up getting admitted for, she had influence A. Jesus. Um, or no, she went to the hospital and then she got, what, what, was it influence A? Yeah, I think it was. It was influence A and then when she came back, she ended up like contracting pneumonia while she was in the hospital. Ooh. So then she brought it back to the, to the facility. She was only on hospice for like a few weeks and then she ended up passing away. And like for so long, I held so much guilt and I really like thought it was my fault because I didn't get her off the like up off the floor that night. And for the longest time, I told myself, like, if you had just gotten her off the floor, like, if you had just, like, pushed through and found the strength to get her up by yourself, like, she would, she would have been alive. And, like, the truth is, is that, like, I don't know what killed her. Like, even if, even if that did contribute, like, it was her time to go. Like, obviously, there was some underlying cause, and her... Sitting on the floor probably didn't help, but I don't think it was the reason that she died. Probably not. Like, you know, it. I learned <clears throat> from it, and it was one of those things where, like, now if there's, like, a situation going on at work where it makes me uneasy, I'm like, no. And I'm so adamant, like, no matter what it is, like, we are doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think back to that, and I'm like... Not, like, you know... Not thinking that, oh, the worst is going to happen, but thinking about, like, you don't know what's going to happen. So it's best to always just be proactive. And for a really long time, like, I blamed myself, absolutely, for her death, like, 100%. And I will never forget, like, when I went and I checked on her and she had passed away. And I, like, checked her pulse and everything. She didn't have one. And she had been gone for, like, a while. So she had already, like, her eyes were, like, glazed over. Her mouth was open, which is a picture I will never get out of my head. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, though. Yep. Yep. Yep, one of those. And uh, I had to pull the sheet over her. And, yep. And then AMs didn't... Don't. And then AMs didn't (laughs) believe me. So when I came or so when AMs came in for their shift I told them so and so passed away and then they didn't believe me and they went and checked and they checked her pulse and I was like guys I checked her pulse at 5 30 she didn't have one what makes you think she's gonna have a pulse at seven <laughs> like yeah probably just because you were like new and 18 and they thought mm. that like you checked wrong or something right like right. I, and honestly I I don't understand how someone can check a pulse wrong. No, you I mean, either it, feel it or you don't. It's there mm-hmm. or it's not there. Exactly. So, yeah, that's my fun little tidbit about um, resident death. Okay, well, 
enough enough of the morbid stories, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of sad now. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Well, anyways, I think we can probably wrap this episode up so we don't make you guys any more sadder than you might already be. And I'm sure plenty of you can relate to this, so... And also, remember that you are beautiful and we love you, mini raviolis. <laughs> Do you want to give us the socials? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on TikTok, YouTube, yeah. 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 Um, all well, I blocks. think Twitter's now X or it something. It is, and I don't... We, we don't post on there, so don't bother. Yeah, we don't yeah, really post so, on there much anymore, because, like, now that it's, like, changing and transitioning, we might get rid of it altogether, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, everywhere you look us up, it'll be Boss Ravioli Queens, Facebook, there's Spaces. I believe nowhere else is Spaces. Yeah, it's all no Spaces, I, I believe. I think on Facebook it's a capital B. It might be. Yep. And uh, Facebook is where we post the most. I know we're old people. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the easiest to, like, put everything on there for the time being and then post elsewhere if we need to right now. Yep. So, right. And, and we're, we're hoping to release more TikToks soon. We're sorry. We know we keep saying it, but we're uh, getting there. We're getting there. Okay. We're... Well, you know what we do for a living, all right? Like... Get off. Get off our case. <laughs> um, and then we do have an email as well, bossraviolequeens at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, questions, concerns. Like we've said before, none of us are okay. So <laughs> Understatement. <laughs> um, we love collabs. We love just to chat, friendly conversation. Um, you know, if you want to like do some sort of collab or anything um you know we also need people to design merch so get on this yes, yes. <laughs> or sponsorships sponsorships, yeah, sponsorships too <coughs> talk about <coughs> monster well until next time bye bye, bye. bye.